Welcome to Clocking In, Forces of NC Manufacturing. I'm your host, Phil Mintz, Director of the North Carolina Manufacturing Extension Partnership, otherwise known as NCMEP. My role is to drive outreach to NC manufacturers, build relationships to federal and state leaders, and coordinate efforts to drive profitable manufacturing growth in North Carolina. Throughout my time working closely with manufacturers, I have heard the most quirky, curious, and memorable stories. I wanted to turn these stories into a podcast so that others may hear and be informed and inspired. From humble beginnings to manufacturing titans, from tragedy to triumph, I will be interviewing some of these manufacturers who have made North Carolina manufacturing the powerhouse that it is today. Economic development is a term that covers many aspects of advancement in our overall quality of life. It's often used as a reference to ongoing public sector effort to ensure that our citizens have continuous access to employment and the reliable infrastructure necessary for a sustainable and growing business environment. It is noted that manufacturing is a critical industry for broad job creation and successful economic development. We often hear of the efforts by public sector leaders to recruit and retain manufacturing business for North Carolina. Those efforts are supported in many ways, including through important incentives related to our higher education resources. Our guest today is a voice of North Carolina manufacturing that somehow seems to always be in the thick of our state's manufacturing growth effort. Tom White is the Director of Economic Development Partnerships in NC State University's Office of External Affairs, where he works with teams all across the state, leveraging the university staff of researchers, its pipeline of engineers, and developing technology to encourage prospective and existing employees to bring new business and create job opportunities. Tom has been Director of NC State's Economic Development Partnership since 2008, He has a long history of working in commerce, serving as the director of North Carolina Department of Commerce, Employment and Training Division, and vice president and CEO of the Greater Durham Chamber of Commerce. White graduated from Duke University with an English degree and later earned his master's degree in public affairs from North Carolina State University. Tom has been involved in so many successes during his career, and we're glad to be speaking with him today about his work and how things may have changed during the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic concerning economic development efforts. So Tom, thank you for taking time to speak with us. How are you doing today? No, I'm doing great. And it's an honor and a privilege to be on with you today. So thank you so much. Yeah, Tom, I think most of us who work in some form of economic development know that because we are acquainted with Tom White, we probably have access to everything that's been going on lately in terms of manufacturing recruitment and expansion. You know, you certainly have a way of engaging that truly serves our state well. So have you always been such a people person? Well, I've I've had the good fortune, Phil, to be trained by mentors that were just absolutely outstanding. My first job in economic development was to be a protege or understudy to a gentleman named Jim Camp, who was an All-American football player at UNC Chapel Hill and uh, went on to a great coaching career and then came back home to work at the Greater Durham Chamber of Commerce as the vice president of economic development. And quite honestly, Phil, Jim Camp from 1970 to 1990 filled up that research triangle park. I mean, he uh, and, and a lot of the peripheral business parks that surround RTP proper. So I learned the trade from, I think, someone who's, who's uh, a consensus opinion, best in the business person. Jim's no longer with us. 
Our boss at the time was a guy named Bob Booth, who uh, was president and CEO of the Durham Chamber of Commerce for 32 years. His dad, Arch Booth, was the president of the United States Chamber of Commerce in the 1960s. And to put that in, in uh, perspective, Bob's father, Arch, was, was uh, U.S. Chamber president during the administration of John F. Kennedy, Lyndon Johnson, Richard Nixon. And there was an alliance there that was bipartisan. And, when it, and it was usually around economic development. So I, uh, I have to pay tribute to both of those individuals, those leaders who, who taught me the trade, so to speak. Well, it's more to it than a trade, I'm sure, but because uh, you have a touch that you put there of your own. And I'm always excited to see your little notes that come in my mailbox. And, you know, uh, you're a very gracious person to work with. Have you always done that? How did you get started with that? I learned that technique from Terry Sanford, uh, who was president of Duke when I was a student there. And then I had a chance to work with him when he was in the U.S. Senate, not for him, but with him on economic development, but actually that, uh, I learned that from my mother, number one, who All taught right. me to always write notes. I went to Catholic school, so it helped you do your, you know, your penmanship, <laughs> which isn't very good, but at least I'm trying. But actually, Jim Hunt, a, a lot of my career at the chamber, Governor Hunt was there for four terms from 76 to 84, and then back again from 92 to 2000. I had a chance to, to watch him recruit companies. And I don't think there's anybody that's been ever like, in the business that's any better than Jim Hunt at bringing in companies and helping the existing enterprise expand. And you do that. He has an and that's a great uh, alumnus of NC State University uh, with, with a nice law degree from Carolina, our sister institution. Yeah, but we'll, um, we'll let him, no, we'll let him Hunt, have that. I must have a couple dozen notes. He's such a gracious individual, but. It all starts, economic development starts at that level. The, gov the governor's the representative of our state, and Governor Cooper's doing a terrific job with Tony Copeland as Secretary of Commerce. So it all, it's a team effort, right? And, uh, and to be bipartisan, Governor Martin was phenomenal in his uh, duration from 84 through 92. It was a tremendous proliferation of growth, international foreign direct investment. So uh, we've been blessed to have so many talented people in that office going through Governor Easley, Governor Purdue, Governor McCrory, and now with Governor Cooper. So North Carolina's got some fantastic leadership. Yeah, I think just to add to that, I think it's, I think it's nice that, you know, that we're working in economic development, which is generally a bipartisan thing. I mean, you know, no matter who's the lead, everybody's interested in growing the, the, the state and uh, in developing the state. So it's exciting to be in this area. So talk a bit about what you do now, Tom, and kind of what excites you about this work at NC State. Well, Phil, honestly, in the last three days, I've had occasion to interact with some of your outstanding staff. Fiona Baxter and I were talking about an OEA grant opportunity with an EDA component yesterday. Uh, talked to Robert Crew Monday on a new project with a new technology that's relevant to COVID-19. It's a filtration system. Anna Mangum last week uh, did me a great favor. I was representing NC State at the Triangle J COG. They're doing a comprehensive economic development strategic plan. We've all pivoted to look at PPE production, and you've been involved in a lot of that, trying to source product. We're a great manufacturing state, and we, uh, but now we're looking at making gowns and masks and gloves and even ventilator capacity potential. So what we do is we serve as a liaison. We're an intermediary. Uh, a lot of our leads or requests for service come from Chris Chung and his EDPNC staff. And those are the folks that are on our front lines doing marketing and promotion. We're 
blessed at NC State with engaged faculty across our 10 colleges and dozens and dozens of institutes and centers. And so, and we're a land-grant institution. So it's, I love working at a place where our faculty love to do field work, love to work with academia, business, and government, and are not afraid to get out there and get their hands dirty, so to speak. A euphemism about going out to the plant, getting involved, just what your, your team does so very well, because that's what it takes to be engaged. We, I also think we play well with others. So if in the eventuality, we don't have a content expert, that's exactly what we need to close the sale. We will reach out to the other UNC system members. You and I serve on that Economic Transformation Council. So there are, I have counterparts at all those public universities. And we're starting to make inroads with Hope Williams and her 36 member uh, North Carolina independent colleges and universities and uh, to get them. Because when you add those 50 some institutions up, we got 325, 350,000 really bright young students, which is what we're all about, right? We're an education institution. So uh, hopefully we can have them stay here and pursue gainful employment that's hopefully relevant and germane to what they studied during the course of their career. And, and we do that. So uh, it's just make, being a connector uh, is probably the, the, the most condensed way to, to identify and define it. Yeah, I mentioned a little bit in the intro about just how important, you know, higher education resources are to recruitment process. And you just talked about that a, a bit. But, you know, can you elaborate more about whenever you're interacting with these companies who are interested in it, you know, how they approach, you know, your discussion in terms of, you know, what kind of talent are we going to find in North Carolina and, you know, what, how do we relate to that? Oh, that's a great uh, question, Phil. Let, let me give an, a specific example. The largest announcement that we had last year was Project Forge, which is, uh, and that's one of those names. It just so happens to fit. Melissa Smith had a project. She called us last June and said, would you be able to host a delegation? Forge is uh, Kalyani Technologies from India. They are a manufacturer of automotive transmissions, and they were looking at four states. They were looking at Kentucky, Tennessee, North Carolina and South Carolina. So she asked if we would host a two-hour preliminary meeting at the Hunt Library as the site selection consultants and the principals with the company were making their visits to those four states. They had identified three counties in North Carolina for their prospective investment, which was significant. It was 450 jobs and $175 million capital investment. For comparison purposes, it's a lot like ICNAW in Northern Durham, Trayburn, which hires our mechanical engineers. They have over 2,000 people making transmissions for Toyota. So we know that we're attractive for that industry cluster automotive. Well, I'll describe to you how we put that session together. They wanted to know about our talent. So we got Leslie Rand Pickett from the Department of Computer Science and Graduate Career Education to, to, to come to the meeting and talk about what she does, how she connects folks with co-ops, internships, externships, capstone projects, sponsored research. At the time, Tim O'Connell, who's no longer with us, he's been at the Museum of Art, but Tim was at the Alumni Affairs Office. Tim would talk about our alumni, how they like to come back here if they're not staying here. And uh, Paul Cohen from Industrial and Systems Engineering helped find Gracious Nagali for me. Gracious is an expert on transmission fabrication and material science. He also connected me with Benil Starling, who, uh, again, has that kind of content expertise. And then last but not least, Ola Harrison came from our Center of Additive Manufacturing and Logistics. They all sit around a table 
at the Hunt Library, and we borrowed uh, Leslie Boney's Institute for Emerging Issues room for two hours. And during the course of conversation, you get asked a lot of questions, which is the same process that they went through in Kentucky, Tennessee, and South Carolina. So it's competitive. They're doing the same things with the University of Kentucky, University of Clemson, probably in, in uh, South Carolina, and the University of Tennessee uh, over in Knoxville. So I'll cut to the chase. We won. In September, we were at the governor's mansion, and Governor Cooper announced the project. They, the company looked at three counties, Iredell County, Cabarrus County, and Lee County, and they wound up going to Lee County. And so it's competitive even within the state. Yeah. So, so, so the people that produced that were Melissa Smith and Chris Strong of BDPNC, Maureen Little, I didn't mention community colleges, they're an extraordinarily important partner. Uh, so obviously, you know, they're, they're going to continue to partner with us. And then the local folks were Mike Smith and Bob Joyce and Jimmy Randolph at the Sanford Area Growth Alliance. So they're the economic developers at the local area. So there you have coordination between state and local developers, NC State. But real quick, Phil, you know what the, the clincher was? Governor Hunt was coming out, out off the elevator to go to his office on the fourth floor of the Hunt Library. And we, we asked him if he would come in, I, I mean, just as a cameo appearance, to pitch these folks oh, with no preparation. And, and, and nailed, and nailed it, I'm it. sure. It, it, it brought tears to my eyes to watch him do that, how he connected with them and how he just, it, it was 1985 again. I mean, it was amazing. He so, is quite so, an amazing um, guy. That's the team effort it takes. That, that's probably a little bit too long-winded an explanation, but that's how our project goes from, you know, creation through evaluation to announcement. Yeah. So let's fall forward to today, you know, as a result of COVID-19, you know, uh, some statistics talk about our North Carolina employment rate that has gone from like 3.6 in February to maybe 12.9. And maybe it's been higher than that, you know, over that period of time. And and we're looking at probably, a, you know, a longer recovery from this as experts are beginning to see. So what kind of difference is that making in terms of our economic development and recruitment efforts? Do you see things kind of slowing down any of what are, what are companies doing now in terms of that? Yeah. That's a great question, Phil. We're working with Cree, and they're, they announced 350 new jobs, and they're trying right now to – that was an announcement from last summer as well, and they're also expanding in New York. But that's, that's a North Carolina state creation, uh, Neil Hunter, and they're making uh, semiconductors on new substrates. And they, they right now are working with us, and they're working with the NC Works Commission and the Division of Workforce Solutions with Durham Tech, uh, with the Durham Workforce Board, Andre Pettigrew and uh, Beth Payne at Durham Tech to see if we can help train their folks. And our representative is Phil Barletta from Electrical and Computer Engineering. We've got the Research Triangle Nanotechnology Fabrication Capability. So there's a partnership there. They're having to deal with setting up their plant so that they can have the prophylactic shields and everything so that no one gets sick. And so that's what's taking a lot of time, just retrofitting the facilities with our partners and we'll have to do the same thing, right? In academia and any of the training centers that we have. But honestly, Phil, we're still seeing a pretty good flow of projects come through. We, uh, and, and some of that's carryover from pre-COVID-19, maybe from early first quarter in January and February. If you take these six life science announcements in the last 10 months, Audentes from California, we're seeing a lot of California companies looking on the Eastern seaboard. They're in gene therapy. We've got uh, announcements of Merck's expansion in Durham. We're involved in that with the BTEC. 
Eli Lilly is going to have a manufacturing plant in RTP. Uh, they'll probably uh, look at Pfizer's growth in Sanford, which was another announcement uh, uh, down in Lee County. So Lee County seems like a hub. Griffles had a nice announcement of manufacturing at their facility with blood plasma. So, I, I mean, in, in some respects, while COVID-19 is horrific, it is generating demand for products that we make here, like vaccines at Merck, uh, at Pfizer like uh, what they can do, and, and look at insulin production uh, down at Novo Nordisk. So we have tremendous capital investment that creates jobs, and most of these enterprises are hiring. And then the recent announcement, we were involved in this, uh, and real quickly I'll mention how we did this. Grail announced that they were moving from Menlo Park, California, or expanding, I should say, to RTP, the Durham County RTP. And it's about 300 jobs and about $100 million capital investment. Their jobs pay about 70 grand, which manufacturing. So they do uh, liquid biopsies for about 50 different cancers. So again, at NC State, we've got the capacity with Golden Leaf, BTAC, and with Nimble, at Ruben Carbonell's looking for manufacturing biopharmaceuticals. So we're positioned pretty well here in the life science community, which doesn't mean that we can't be, uh, you know, we have to be thoughtful. We have to push more of it out into the micropolitan areas, which you, you do so very well, and the rural areas. That, that's you know, they've always struggled with that, with our legacy commodity industries. And we want to make sure that we can stay strong. Some of those folks are making masks and, and gloves, thanks to what you're doing, the uh, Division of Emergency Management. So uh, we're just lucky to have IES. I'll tell you, you guys are everywhere. Well, you know, we're lucky to have you too, Tom. And I'm just, my question is, how do you keep up with it all? I mean, this, during this whole conversation, you've, man, you've talked about all different types of projects, uh, past and active and, you know, how do, how do you do it? Well, we're a think-and-do university, but I actually talk a lot, as you know. I, we're, let, I'll give you a couple of examples. We're in competition for two or three grants right now. Steve Callen and Isaac Panzarella at our Clean Energy Technology Center, we're partners on an offshore wind project that Dominion Energy is going to build on federal land off of the Norfolk coast. That's where I, I've learned a lot. That's The wind blows more consistently and, and more strongly in that particular location and anywhere on the eastern seaboard. The folks we're working with are very experienced in this, these consultants, Timmons Group, engineering firm. They've been involved in uh, an offshore wind project off New Jersey and uh, Block Island off Rhode Island. So Steve and his team are great at that, the technical assistance in renewable energy. But you know, the, I needed to collect letters of endorsement from uh, academia, business and government, get them from Nucor, CSX with their inland port, who do you think the first guy, I've literally, the first letter that we had among the dozen I had to, to collect, Rex Rayford, <laughs> your guy, <laughs> he it within 24 hours. Yeah. So when we get projects, we have to actually work on that basis. Uh, our, I haven't mentioned our College of Ag and Life Sciences. They're phenomenal. Rich Linton, his team, we have, we're a finalist for uh, an NC Southeast grant with EDA. It was actually a hurricane resilience recovery grant from Hurricane Florence. And now we have to incorporate COVID-19. So back to your first question, COVID-19 has to be included and addressed with almost all of our technical assistance provision grants. That's an ag supply chain grant. The grant for offshore wind is a supply chain opportunity to build the veins and the towers and all the apparatus in North Carolina if we can get the companies to do that. So. Yeah, so we're just blessed to work at a place like I can call any of your people and they go, I mean, right right away. I mean, I just haven't even mentioned everybody, but, you know, Mike Mullins with the North Carolina Defense Industry uh, Diversification Initiative that you're doing. 
you're co-chairing that with Larry Hall. So hats off to you for finding the time to be the leader that you are in so many of these initiatives. Yeah, so again, we're speaking with the great Tom White here today, and uh, he's a, the chief economic <laughs> development person across the state, and he uh, knows all and sees all and knows everybody. And so well, when do, do you ever sleep, Tom? No, you're, you're, you're too kind, Bill. But actually, you know, Tony Copeland, who's our Secretary of Commerce, I don't think he ever sleeps. That guy's on the road from Murphy to Manio, and so's Chris Chung. I mean, that, and they're, they're like you. They're like you. They're everywhere. And they lead teams that have to compete with other states. Look at NEP, right? I mean, we're involved in a couple of competitive grants right now. One other aspect of this, I remember, and, and you know, I should mention Randy Woodson. I mean, what a great leader. We're, we're at a university with the quintessential leader who's all about engagement. He did that at Purdue. He did it heading up our Association of Public Land Grant Universities. And, you know, he can relate to this. He, I mean, as a scientist, as an academic leader. We're cognizant of the fact that in places like Charlotte, we share labor sheds with up the upstate in South Carolina, up in the Northeast on this project. Somebody asked me, like, why are you guys doing that? Well, a lot of our people have to go to Norfolk and Virginia Beach and, you know, southeastern Virginia to earn a living. And we want to have more, you know, development in that area, more economic development. And maybe some of the Virginians would wind up coming and there'd be a flow. We see that in Danville, Virginia, right? So there's a lot of areas in our state where we have to collaborate. Cross-border collaboration is a euphemism for it. So, uh, yeah, so we've got a great product in North Carolina, but we've got some great leadership, too. So, uh, you know, fingers crossed about that we can get through this pandemic, get a vaccine, and then, you know, get, get back to some sense of normalcy. Yeah, great. So a couple of final things, you know, as we, as we wrap up, uh, you know, I, we mentioned a little bit about this earlier. You know, every time I talk to you, you're you're telling me about some new fancy project with with a with a, one of these weird names like Project Pluto or or some. You know, how does that happen? I mean, how do how do, you, do you name these things, or is there a person that decides what the name is? That's a that's a great question. They they they, they have code names because they try to disguise the identity of the client, right? So sometimes those names, which frequently are amusing. Uh, or silly. They're developed by the site selection consultants that are retained to do their site searches and to uh, extract concessions and negotiations. Sometimes it's named by EDPNC. They'll just slap a name on it to disguise it. The Grail mentioned that was Orion 2. I have no clue why that was called Orion 2. Somebody may have been to the movies that week. But um, the, the whole the rationale for that is to try to most of the time when we're working with clients we don't know who the company is, and the site selection consultants who are managing the project want it that way. Oh, and, and I, I don't think this is telling tales out of school because I heard it from people that would have no reason to to exaggerate it. When we were in the governor's mansion in September with Paul Cohen, with Leslie Rand Pickett, with Tim O'Connell. Uh, they had a wonderful announcement. The governor was there, Tony, the senior, the chairman and president of Kalyani and Bharat Forge, all of the senior executives from India. I was told that Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, had made a call to the president that afternoon to offer an incentive package of $50 million. We were offering 20 or $25 million to go to Kentucky. Oh, wow. Amazing, huh? Yeah. And when I told Governor Hunt that story, so they wanted Governor Hunt to come there, and he, was, he had a pre-existing uh, obligation. He's, he looked at me, and he said, I would have done the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're, so we're, it's we're very glad. competitive. 
Yeah, and uh, we're glad to have you on the team because, uh, again, we can tell by the way you talk how excited you are about your work. And again, I don't, you know, we we really appreciate you being a part of that. And so, but you know, we uh, we're we're pleased that, again that you decided to speak to us today. And I know you got a lot to do. You, you're you're all dressed up uh, as as usual, and to, to be ready to to meet some other people and and, and make some other deals. So. Thanks again for talking with us today, and we look forward to meeting with you again soon. Phil, thank you so much. I really and I thank you for your friendship and your uh, just. It's great working with you and your team. I really do appreciate it. Labor of love. Thank you. Yeah, and I look forward to your handwritten note after this too, Tom. <laughs> it's in the mail. <laughs> Thanks thank again. You, Phil. All right, bye bye. Thank you for joining today's Clocking In Voices of NC Manufacturing. This podcast is brought to you by NC State's College of Engineering, the North Carolina Manufacturing Extension Partnership, and Industry Expansion Solutions. If you'd like to learn more about the solutions NCMEP offers, go to www.ncmep.org. Want to listen to previous Clocking In podcasts? Go to ncmep.org slash clockingin.